I, uh, I appreciate our worship team. I asked them if they could please to cut it down one song, and they just did such a great job this morning. Those songs were so wonderful, so anointed, so full of truth that, uh, you know, but I knew our service was full. And today I start a series of messages that I've been talking about for a month. And I had planned this last year that I was going to do this series. But then on December 31st, when we had our, our watch night service, the Lord moved so wonderfully. And those, we need to do that again. The, the, and what I mean is the testimonies were so beautiful that I didn't even get to preach. I, I was planning on bringing the word. But those testimonies, I wouldn't have taken anything for those wonderful testimonies. And then it was midnight, and we, and we were going to pray in the new year. And I said, well, we need, to, we need to stop. And it was actually after midnight. And my wife told me later, she said, I cannot believe we've been here since midnight. When you said that, I was like, really? Because the Lord was with us. Amen. It was just such a wonderful time. But I planned to start the first Sunday of this year preaching on this subject. But it's just like the Holy Spirit kept leading me back to Philippians 3. But today I want to begin this series a month late, but right on time, really, when we follow the Holy Spirit. I've titled the series, Rediscovering the Church. Rediscovering the Church. I want to read out of Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And this will be on your screen, on the screen here. Here's what it says. Jesus is going to be talking here. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, I, we were in Caesarea Philippi. Raise your hand if you were in Caesarea Philippi. Here, here, Kinsey, you were here, Missy. We were in Caesarea Philippi the other day, and we were in this area where Jesus said this. Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is not Caesarea that Herod the Great built. This is Caesarea Philippi, way in northern Israel. This is like a mile from the Syrian border. We were standing there. It was there that, that the Caesar had a temple. It was there that they worshipped the god Pan. It was there that many gods were worshipped. And, and isn't it interesting? It's in that place there's going to be the great declaration here that he's going to give. But look at this. Verse 7, or verse, uh, read the latter part of verse 13. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me tell you, not a better statement anywhere in the world. That you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, Christos, the son of the living God. And then he says, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which, who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, little rock, little rock, little stone. And on this rock, massive stone, Petra. You hear that? So there's a play on words here. Peter's not the rock of the church. Thank God he's not. Come on, amen. Jesus is the rock. But uh, we won't go into all that. But it says... You, and and, and on, the, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades. Hades is the place of the departed dead. It's death. Even death will not conquer this church. Now look at me real quick here. Not my message. But I want to stop here and tell you the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I don't want to die. I, I pray the Lord I live to be 110. And I know my folks live a long time. Missy's folks live a long time. So... We may just do it. I don't know. I mean, God can do that. I mean, Methuselah lived 969 years. The Lord's able to do it. But death is an enemy. I don't know how many funerals that I've ministered and comfort people whose tears flow down their cheeks. I've had them hover over the body and clutch the body in the casket, screaming and crying and moaning. And it just reminds me once again of what the Lord said. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And we've been dying ever since. And I read in the Revelation chapter 6, that horse, the horse death with Hades following it, has running and riding rampant. It's out of the stalls, running rampant across our world. Our brother Dale's nephew 
You know, and, and we've, we've all experienced these things in one manner or another. But I can tell you that even the gates of hell, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus said that if you believe in me, remember he said this at the tomb of Lazarus, though you die, you will not really die. You're going to live. You're not going to really die. You're not going to die eternally because we've got Jesus in our heart and he gives eternal life. Glory to God. So then he said, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. That's the place of the departed dead. Death shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then, and then he makes this strange statement. He commanded his disciples that they should tell how many? Don't tell anyone that he was Jesus, the Christ. Don't tell anyone, he says. There's a reason for that, but I won't get into that today. So today, Father, we ask your blessing on the word of the Lord. All the things that we'll say, help us to see your glories in this. And for this, we thank you. Amen. So today we start a series I've titled it Rediscovering the Church. So you say, well, do we really need to rediscover the church? I mean, the church has been around for 2,000 years, beginning at Pentecost. I read, the, I read this week that there's purported to be 33,000 denominations in the world. Can you imagine? Well, we're really together, aren't we? <laughs> Started out as one, and now we have 33,000. I, I knew a little town in Oklahoma that was a little small town. They had 80 churches. In a little bitty small town. So we're, we're really together here. But, uh, so do we really need to discover the church? You know, I believe that we need to rediscover the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about the modern church. I'm talking about the ancient church. I'm talking about the church of which I have the blueprint in my hand. And but let me just add a little note to that. That not only do we have the blueprint of the church... This blueprint never changes. Can I say that again? The blueprint never changes because it's Jesus' church. Somebody say, well, what's your vision? What's your vision for the church? I have no vision for the church. It's not my church. How could I have a vision or something that's not mine? But I do have a vision. I've got his vision. It's right here. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's Acts. It's Romans. It's 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Colossians, etc. This is the vision for the church. We have the teaching and what the church should be in the, in the epistles. We know what we need to do. We know how we need to live. We know what we need to be doing. So, yes, we need to rediscover the church. Why? Because over the last 2,000 years, the church has ebbed and flowed through life and death. There's been times of great life in the church. I love to read about revivals. Do you know one of our <coughs> great superintendents was part of the Azusa Street, Brother Williams. One of our, one of our leaders in the Assemblies of God and, and others in the Church of God in Christ, Brother Mason, others, were, were part of these great moves of God. The Welch Revival, other great revivals, I love to read about those. There, there have been times of great missionary movements but then there's been times of death. I mean, think about it. We, we start in Acts chapter 2 with the fire of God in the church. A little 120 people. And they, they, they changed the Roman Empire. They changed the culture. But then by the time you get to Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is not even in the church anymore. I mean, you know, there's churches that Jesus is not even in. There's churches today in our land. People are just doing religious stuff. Jesus is not in there. He's on the outside knocking in, knocking the door, trying to get back in. He doesn't force his way in. He is a gentleman. Come on. But he wants to be the center of his church. So, yes, we need to, we need to be a part of rediscovering the church. Do you realize that it was... It was the Anglican Church of England that started the slave trade that touched our borders. The church. Are you hearing me? I read a book this week that you need to read. I read a book about a slave lady. Her name was Sojourner Truth. You ever read that book? 
You need to go read it. A dear slave lady born in New York. She changed her name from Isabel to Sojourner Truth. She became a great gospel preacher. And she preached the gospel. And she knew the Lord. And I read that story. And I'm going to tell you, I wept when I read it. And the reason I wept when I read it, to see how she was treated. To see what, what, but then she found some Quakers. She found some Quakers. And when she found these Quakers, they treated her so sweet and they loved on her. And they gave her money. They had taken her child away. And, and she went to court to get her child back. You can read this. She won the court case, glory to God. But the Quakers blessed her, gave her money. Here's what she said. Here's, I wept when I read this. Two things. One, she had never slept in a bed. She had never slept on a real comfortable bed, like with a mattress. She slept on a hard floor. The Quakers gave her a bed with a, with a mattress and a pillow. She said she didn't even want to lay on it. She wanted to sleep under it. But she said she didn't want to offend her host. They gave her money to get a lawyer because the lawyer said, the only way I'm going to take your case is, is if you give me $5. The Quakers gave her more than $5. She went to the crooked lawyer and she gave the money. She gave all the money to him. And she went back to the Quakers and she said, here's what she said. said well, they said, well, where's the rest of the money? He only charged $5. She said, I gave it all to him. She said, I've never had a dollar bill in my entire life. Why would I need money? They said, you could have bought shoes. She said, I don't want shoes. I want my son back. That's what she said. They said, don't you know if you let that man take your son, that, that, he, that you could get $300 for him? She said, I want my son. She had never read before. She went into court and they said, you got to swear on this book here. She didn't know what it was. She, she didn't know what swearing meant. She didn't know that you put your hand. So, so she started kissing it and they all laughed at her. But here's what she said. She said, she said, I go off to a stream, and out in the middle of the stream, there was a little island. She said, I get out there under the willow tree. She said, I could pray as loud as I wanted to, and nobody could hear me. And you know, she won that case, and she began to preach. She called herself Sojourner Truth. She preached, and she ministered. But you know, I read that, and I wept. I truly wept to think that that part of the Anglican church in England started that. See what I'm saying? We need to rediscover what the real church is. Come on. Do you realize that it was the Lutheran church in Germany that for a time supported Hitler? And Hitler exterminated six million Jews while the church was having church while the church was going through the religious activity instead of standing up and preaching the real gospel they were preaching a nationalistic gospel do you think we need to rediscover the church absolutely we do if you ask the just the john doe person on the street the average person if you ask them what do you think the church is most generally, you're going to get something like this. The church is a building that we go to once a week, sing a few songs, Christian songs. We hear a message from the Bible. We do a few social activities every once in a while. And that's to them what the church is. Let me tell you, that is, that, that's troubling and problematic on a lot of levels. Number one, when I read the Bible, the church had no buildings for the first 300 years. So you didn't go to the church. You didn't go to a physical location. Secondly, I doubt very seriously they had the wonderful instruments that we've enjoyed this morning. They met in little small house churches, and they just sing, sang hymns with their voices joined together. Thirdly, they were so poor and so persecuted, the social activities included helping widows, orphans, and the poor. No entertainment. These were holy people. What do, you, do you think they got involved with the Roman Colosseum? Do you think they got involved in sporting events or the pagan festivals? No. They were separate from the world. There was no entertainment. Their entertainment was serving Jesus. And then there was a time the church was scattered everywhere. Peter said this, Apostle Peter, Apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiled and scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And then James said this, James, the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that are scattered. 
Yes, we need to rediscover the church again. And my reason for wanting for us to rediscover the church is this. We can know a lot about something without really knowing it. In other words, we can be familiar with something and not really know it. Here me give you a for instance. If I said to you, the Dallas Cowboys, what would you say? You'd say, football. You'd say, that's my team. How many of that's your team? Come on. Let me see your hand. Don't be ashamed. They didn't make it, but that's all right. Okay? But, but you say, that's my team. That's my team. I like, of all the football teams, those are my guys. I'm 100% behind them. Okay. Let's see how well you know them. You say, yeah, that's my team. Can you name every member on the team except, you know, not Dak or not, you know, Ezekiel? Can you name all the members? I mean, it's not that many. Name the members on the team. Oh, but it's your team. Okay, so let's, uh, let's do this then. What are the coaches' names? Not just Garrett. Are you, really? Can you name two? No one. Okay, well, okay. Are they married? Okay, uh, do you know any of the parking attendants? Do you know any of the concession workers? Just one at the stadium. None? Oh, but I thought that's your team. Okay, uh, how, much, uh, how much is your light bill every month? What accounting program they use? What day do they practice? The players, they live in Dallas, other towns. They have houses in other states. I thought that's your team. Where do they go to college? Are they married? How many kids do they have? Oh, but it's my team. See my point? That's my team. But we, we say they're our team, and they're our, we know them. We've watched them for 50 years, but do we really know them? Yes, but on a surface level. And that's, that's my, my point is this. We can say, yeah, I know what the church is. I know about the church. But could we just know cursory facts about the church? Could we have a surface level veneer idea of what the church is and be missing it in our modern day? And I would say to you, in many ways, we are missing it in our modern world today. Do you know this? Do you know that the church is God's eternal purpose? It's at the core. I hear people say, the Lord's doing this. The Lord's doing that. The Lord's, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that I don't think he's doing 99.9% of it. I can tell you what I know the word of God says he's doing. He's building a church. Can I say that again? God's eternal purpose is the church. How do you know? Ephesians says 1 and 4, just as he chose us, the Christians, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Before the foundation of the world, we were his eternal purpose. He is building an everlasting eternal body of everyone who will receive Jesus Christ, red and yellow, black and white, whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. What God is doing is building a church but it's very specific not just people gathering in a building not just a crowd a certain kind of crowd a certain kind of people centered in Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit completely in love with Christ people gathering crowds every day the sports bars this evening will be filled with people the stadiums will be filled well not all just one stadium will be filled <laughs> all the other are saying you know Gloom, despair, agony on me, like our stadium. But anyway, our guys that we, we know so well, right? Uh, but God is building his church centered in his word. See, this is the government of God. Now, this is my little Bible, but I have my bifocals on, so I'm all right today, okay? This is God's government. This, the church is centered in this book right here. I have nothing to say to you out, from outside, except this word of God is centered I have no personal message for you, but we have a message. It's the eternal word of God. So we're rediscovering the church now. I've taken a little time there. So this morning, I'm going to be quick here. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the first thing we need to rediscover. As I read to you in the text of Scripture, the Lord said, I will build the assemblies of God. Is that, was that in there? Did you read that? Did I miss you that? I'm going to build the Baptist church. Methodist? Presbyterian? Foursquare? Independent? I've always, I've always said, what are you independent from? Christian church? Did I? Jesus said, I'll build my, what? Our church. I'll build my church. My 
church. It's his church. He started it out of his riven side, as the old hymn says. Out of his side. So today, I want to talk a few minutes about rediscovering our Messiah. We need to rediscover our Messiah. I'll be quick here. First of all, I want to tell you this. He is an amazing person. Amen. There's nothing I'd rather talk about than Jesus. You can, you can take this Bible and turn it in and talk about sub and, and peripheral marginal topics. But this book is about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. From Genesis 3.15, well, the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural. In the beginning, God, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. They created this world. But I want to tell you today that Jesus is an amazing person. First of all, under that, I would say this. He was a man. He was a man. God became man. We call that incarnation. I mean, John said this, and I'll just read this little passage of Scripture. 1 John 1, 1. Not John, but 1 John. That which was from the beginning. That's Jesus. Which we have heard. We heard him. Can you imagine what Jesus' voice sounded like? Was it a deep voice? Was it a middle-range voice? I don't know what it, the tone, I don't know what the voice print was. You know, we all have voice prints. But don't you know that when he spoke, there was punch to it. There was, there was life in his words. People would just love to sit and listen to him. I mean, they, they, the, the leader said, go arrest him. Go stop him. And they came back, those soldiers came back, and they were like, he almost like this. They said, where is he? Why didn't you arrest him? <laughs> they said, no one spake like that man spoke. But look, John heard him. Look at what he says. Which we have seen with our eyes. We've looked upon. Look at this. Our hands have handled. We've touched Jesus' physical body. Concerning the word of life. That life which was manifest. And we have seen and we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. Which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which... We have seen and heard, we declare to, unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, notice, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Think about this. Jesus was God coming to earth. He is an amazing person. He became a man, look at this, in an amazing way. An amazing way. Quickly. His birth was predicted 700 years before he came. The Spirit of God came up on Isaiah and he said, For unto us is born, a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That's Jesus. His mother conceived him. She was, he was born of a virgin. It says again in Isaiah, Behold, the virgin will conceive. And then when Mary, the angel showed up and she said, Well, how is this going to be? Because the angel said, you're going to be with child. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the redeemer of the world. How is this going to be? I have not known a man. She said in 1 and 35 of Luke, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who will be in you will be called the Son of God. He was born and he became a man in an amazing way. Angels proclaimed him. Nobody, no angel proclaimed me. I can tell you that. They might have gone, owe me. And owe me to you too. Why? We were part of Adam's fallen race. But oh, he's special. Heavenly bodies guided the wise men to his address as the star came. I'm, I'm back in Christmas, aren't I? Supernaturally protected by angelic dreams. See, he became a man in an amazing, amazing way. He lived an amazing life among men. See, we need to rediscover our Messiah, Jesus. He became a man and lived among men in an amazing way. Completely humble. They missed him. One reason is because they were looking for a, somebody to beat their chest. They were looking for a mighty warrior. They were looking for a conquering king. 
Well, he is a conquering king, but he's just not, he's not the world's kind of conquering king. There was no pride in him. He was completely humble. The Bible says that he was so humble that he became obedient. He became a bondservant and became obedient even to death. Completely humble. Isaiah said he wouldn't cry out in the streets. A, a smoking flax, he wouldn't quench. A broken reed, he wouldn't break. He wouldn't cry out in the street. Completely humble. Amazing. He was sinless. He never one time in the entirety of his life ever sinned and broke God's moral law in any way. Completely sinless. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us. That means a sin offering. Who knew no sin. Completely sinless. What kind of life, amazing life did he live? He lived a life of suffering. Hebrews tells us that when he was on this earth, he suffered the things that we suffer. And therefore, it says in Hebrews, the last verse of Hebrews, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He felt those lonely moments. He, he felt those moments of difficulty. He learned obedience to the things he suffered. Why? He's a perfect Messiah. He's a perfect high priest. You know, when we go to each other and we try to understand each other, we're so limited in that. We try to comfort the body. We try to encourage other believers when they're going through difficulty. But all that's limited. Why? Because we're, we're fallible and we're limited. But when you come to Jesus with your troubles, trials, and burdens, he knows exactly what you're going through. And he can comfort your soul. He lived a life, an amazing life among men of complete dependence on God. There's so much self-assertion today. There's so much self-will today, even in the church. But listen to this amazing Jesus. He said in John 5 and 30, I can do nothing of myself. How amazing is that? I would that we could say that today. I would that we could get back to that in the church. What are you going to do? Nothing except what God says. I can do nothing except what God says. That's John 5 and 30. I can do nothing of myself. He, Jesus lived an amazing life among men. He, he was a man of courage. You know, courage is something we need again in our, in our life. Courage to stand for the Lord. You know, Jesus was so courageous that when he stood before Pilate, the scripture says that he was absolutely fearless and he, not, he, he literally did not open his mouth before the, one of these leaders. He was courageous. Amazing. He, he is an amazing person. Think about this. Jesus was a man. A real man. Born as a man. Flesh and blood. A human being. God. God coming to earth as a man. Loved us so much. But not only is he an amazing person that he became a man. But yet, listen... He is God. Are you hearing me? He is God. Jesus was completely a human being, but he was also at the same time God. He was the God-man. That means that Jesus is a divine person. Listen to this. He possessed attributes that only God can possess. He possessed the nature only God can possess. Colossians says this, For in him dwells all the fullness of of the Godhead bodily. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. His attributes veiled, yes, laying aside those prerogatives, but never losing them. He never ceased to be God. But he so humbled himself that he laid aside the privilege of those using those until after the resurrection. So humble was he. Not only a divine person, do you know he was a dynamic person? 
Acts says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he do? He went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. There was a divine power. There was a divine dynamic. There was a divine energy upon his life because in the, in the waters of Jordan, when he came out, the Bible said the Holy Spirit filled him and came upon him. And John saw it, and he saw it, the dove coming down. Jesus performed amazing miracles. He demonstrated authority in the spirit realm. Demons were afraid of Jesus. Are you hearing me today? Demons would come in his presence and they'd say, they would say, don't torment us before you're our time. They know where they're headed. Demons know they're headed to outer darkness. They know who had the authority. They did not like to be in the presence of Jesus. Demons are afraid of Jesus. Can I tell you this today? Let me proclaim it, Trinity Life. We do not have to be afraid of a, a wimpy demon spirit. We do not have to be afraid of the devil. Jesus Christ conquered the devil on the cross and in the resurrection. He made a show of him openly. And now we have victory through the name of the Lord. We have authority. We have authority over all the power of the enemy because we're children of the king. Glory to God. I'm about to preach. <laughs> Demons didn't like his presence. He demonstrated authority in the spirit realm. He demonstrated authority over inanimate nature. Now we're discovering our Messiah this morning. Rediscovering. He walked on water. He had authority over water. He cursed a fig tree. And it withered just by his spoken word. He, in a storm, said, peace, be still. And immediately it was calm. And they were all amazed at this amazing person, our Lord Jesus. He demonstrated authority not, over, not only over inanimate nature, but animate nature. He healed the sick. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the leper. He healed fevers. And he didn't even have to be present sometime. He said, go your way. They're healed. And they'd get home and he'd be healed. Why? He is an amazing Savior. He is an amazing Messiah. He is our reigning Lord. Hallelujah to God. We're discovering our Messiah this morning. Jesus. He raised the dead more than once. And I believe more than it's written down here. John said if all the things he did had been written down, it couldn't, all the books in the world couldn't contain them all. He, he raised Lazarus up. We have the whole story. He said, I say, Lazarus, come forth. Don't you know he's dead? He stinks by now. Four days. Did not I tell you that if you would believe Mary and Martha, you would see the glory of God? Roll the stone away. Well, I know, it, you know, we're always trying to limit Jesus. Well, Lord, you know, I know that, that he's going to rise in the resurrection. Mary, Martha, don't you know... You're looking at the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Our, listen, our Messiah is so powerful. Our Lord Jesus is so powerful. One day, John 5 said, he's going to speak, and all that are in the graves are going to come out. And we limit him so much. Oh, we need to get a new vision, a renewed vision of our mighty Savior. What an amazing person he is. He was man, but he is God. And he has authority over the animate, over the inanimate. He raised the dead. He controlled fish. Cast your net on the other side. Well, we've, we've done that before, Jesus. Shut up, guys. Just cast the net on the other side. Come on. Well, Pastor, you know, I prayed about that need and it didn't happen. And, and he says, cast your net on the other side. Do it again. I didn't get it yet. Do it again. I didn't get it yet. Do it again. I didn't get it. Do it again. Ask and it'll be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus said, cast your net on that side. And now that Jesus just corralled them all in there, they caught more than they ever caught. And then, they, then April 15th came by. And he says, hey, Peter, go down there and cast your hook in the water. And the first fish you catch, 
There'll be some money. There'll be a coin in there, and then you go pay your taxes and my taxes. Oh, don't you wish it was that easy? We'd all be heading to Ray. We'd all be, we'd all be heading to Ray Hubbard. I'd, I'd say, hey, Bob, how you doing there? Hey, CE, what are you doing there? Hey, Scott, what you doing out here at Ray Hubbard? I'm getting my tax money. I'm, I'm reading this story. I'm reading this story here. You know, Jesus said, it ain't working for me, though. But, hey, he'll supply. Come on, amen. What amazing Savior. He had authority over men. I'm talking about our amazing Savior, our amazing Messiah, that the New Testament church in this modern day, we need to discover, rediscover who our mighty God is. He had authority over men when they came to get him in the garden, the humble. We were in that garden, weren't we? We were in the garden, in that garden when he was praying, kneeling down there by those trees that we saw that were were there when he knelt. Those 2,000-year-old olive trees. He knelt there. He was praying to his father. Finally, the soldiers came. Jesus stood up and said, who are you looking for? What do you want? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And as soon as he said that, they all fell down. Who was in control? See, men in this world think they're in control, but they need to wake up. They need to wake up and read the Word of God. We're rediscovering our Messiah. He has authority over men. All those mighty soldiers. Can you imagine? They fell down, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Would you please go with us? You're making it hard on us here. I'll only go with you because my Father wants me to go with you. He had authority over men. See, he had authority to forgive sins. They let the paralytic down at the house, tore the meeting up, tore the roof up. He, as they were lowering him down, Jesus said these words, Son, thy sins be forgiven you. And the religious knotheads, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're so sad you see. Anybody doesn't believe in Jesus is going to be sad. But what happened is, they, he, they were saying this in their heart, but he could hear them. How I many of Jesus can hear what we say on the inside? They said, he blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They had that right. They had that right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one but God alone can forgive sins. But what those foolish men didn't know is in their midst was God. God was in their midst. God the Son was in their midst because not only was man, but he was God and is God. Jesus was a dynamic person. He was also a determined person. His one goal in life was that complete his Father's will. When they came back, they said, has he had any food? Has he eaten? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. That's, my, that's what fulfills me, not this world. He, it's amazing that he, that he was so determined that he remained completely silent when they accused him and ridiculed him. It says, and Pilate said to him, do you hear how, how many things they're testifying against you? But here's what it says, but he answered him not a word. Accusing, can you imagine, you know, we're, we have a tendency and I do it and you, we want to defend ourselves. Jesus, they're mocking him, ridicule. He's just standing there. So in control. So determined. And he even told him, you can do nothing except what God will allow you to do. You have no power over me. See, what an amazing. He, he, in the garden, as I've said, pray. He was so determined that his, his dearest friends betrayed him. And denied him, but yet it still did not stop him. He is an amazing person. Quickly. Now I'm going to go through these real quick. Not only is he an amazing person, do you know that he has amazing names and titles? Now this ought to bless you right here. I'm going to give you these names. There's not all of them, but most of them. Jesus. Say Jesus with me. No other name given under heaven. Jesus means the Lord who saves. His name shall be called Jesus, and he'll forgive his people, save his people from their sin. Emmanuel, 
Come on, God with us. Title, Christ. That's the anointed one. Son of God. Lamb of God. Last Adam. Light of the world. Lord. Logos, word. Bread of life. Alpha Omega. Good shepherd. Advocate. He's called the Amen. I love that. Let me read that. Amen. He said, the angel of the church of Latter said the words of the amen. You know what that means? That means the true one. Come on, we've got the true one right here. Somebody say, I'm looking for truth. I, I'm not. I found it right here. He's the amen. Everybody say amen. amen. He's called the beloved son. This is my beloved son. He's called the captain of our salvation. That means this. That means he saved us and he's leading us on to glory. He's the captain. Come on, I'm in the Lord's army right now. And so are you. Consolation of Israel. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for someone to come deliver them. He's called the counselor. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor. He's called the deliverer. Even in the New Testament. Waiting for the Son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. Do you know here's a good name. He's called God blessed. Did you know Jesus is called God blessed? Listen to this, Romans 9, 5. To him belongs the patriarchs, and from the race, from their race, the Jews, according to the flesh, is Christ Jesus, who is over all God blessed. Everybody say God blessed. I'm serving the God blessed. I'm serving Jesus. He's called the head of the church. Listen to this verse. He put all things under his feet. And gave him to be head over the church, all, all things to the church. Here's the picture. The picture is in the Middle East, victorious kings would have their, their, their feet on the necks of their defeated enemies. When Jesus came out of the grave, he put his neck on the devil. He put his neck on sin. He put his, he put his foot on the neck of death because Jesus is victorious and he's coming to bring his church home. He's the head of the church. He's called the Holy One. Acts, he said, you've, you've denied the Holy One. He's called the I Am. He said, truly, before Abraham was, I Am. He's called the image of God. He's called, of course, Jesus of Nazareth, born in a simple town. We would, not have, we would never have heard of Nazareth. There's one reason we've heard of Nazareth, and that is because that is the boyhood home of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the King of king of the Jews. The Magi tra traveled a thousand miles when the rulers from the and when the religious leaders wouldn't go six miles south to Bethlehem. They traveled, they said, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. He's called the Lord of glory. He's called Messiah. He's called the mighty one. He's called the Prince of Life. He's called the Redeemer. He's called the Rock. He's called the Son of David. He's called the True Vine. Come on, somebody praise Him today. That's Jesus. That's our Redeemer that we're rediscovering today. He's amazing. I want you to stand. I could preach on, but I think you're done. Notice how I said I wasn't done. Let's stand. Musicians, please. Glory to God. Musicians and singers. Think about this, church. We're rediscovering the church, and the first thing we need to do is rediscover who's the head of the church. We need to rediscover our Messiah. Think about it. He does amazing things. How many of you know he still works miracles? He still changes people. He still guides his plans for our lives. He, he comforts us during storms. He made amazing claims. He prophesied of events that would happen 30, 40 years in advance. He said, not one stone going to be left upon another. 40 years in the future, it all happened. He made amazing claims. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made one claim. He said, you're going to see me sitting in the, on the right hand of the throne of power and glory. Don't, don't you think it was an outrageous claim to those evil, blind leaders how could this humble carpenter from Nazareth, because he's not only man, he's God. He said he would one day return. I close with this thought. We just want to worship him a moment. Oh, don't you love talking about Jesus? Oh. 
Pilate's wife sent word to him. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that man. Have to have nothing to do with that holy and just man. Get, get away. Don't, don't touch this. I've had terrible dreams. That's just, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean, the Lord will help us to get out of our deal. God was being merciful to Pilate. He was about to do something that he goes down in the history of the word of God as a terrible leader. His wife said, how many know we need to listen to our wives? Come on. Amen, Missy? I'll do better. <laughs> but listen, have nothing to do with this just man. Have nothing to do with him. But let me just tell you, that is impossible. It's impossible to have nothing to do with Jesus. Here we are 2,000 years later. And this world is faced with Jesus Christ. They face his death. They're going to face his resurrection. They're going to face his words. They're going to give an account to God. They're going to give an account to Jesus Christ. It's impossible not to have to do something with him. Because either if you say, I don't want anything to do with him, you've made a decision. To not make a decision is a decision. But I, I feel like you do. I want him. I want him. I love him. I want you to lift your hands and just love on him. Could you? Would you please just love on him? Could we sing this song? Could we sing this song that we have here? We just worship you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you. We bless your name. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Sing it out, church. This would be one of those times when we just kneel before Jesus and just love him and worship him. But I want to conclude this service with, with prayer and just speak into your heart and your soul. We all have an eternity. 
And that eternity will either be spent in heaven or hell. And there's no in-between. Heaven or hell. I'll be here to counsel anyone that maybe has not walking with the Lord and you want to be saved. Or maybe you're walking with the Lord, but you feel weak and you want prayer for an area of your life. We want to strengthen the body. We want to encourage you to continue in the faith. But we're always here to pray, to counsel. We'll stay as long as you need to stay. But I want to pray for the body. But if you don't know the Lord, we'd love to lead you to Christ. If you're a backslider, which in our day happens a lot, by the way. A lot of things pulling people away from their intimate walk with the Lord. Father, today, how grateful we are that we could just contemplate Christ. What an amazing person you are. What an amazing life you lived. What amazing things you did. What amazing things you said. And Lord, one day you'll come with your amazing grace to catch us away and to be with you. Father, I pray for every person that, Lord, we pray for lost souls to come to Christ. We pray for backsliders to come home. Lord, I, and I pray for, for believers that feel weak and discouraged. And I just pray that you'd give grace, give more grace today, give help today. Lord, there's no struggle that we cannot overcome with your grace. You're more than enough for us. Lord, this week I pray, Father, that, that we would nourish on these words, that we would rediscover our Messiah, that we would get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this week. Many of us, Lord, just read all four chapters and just meditate and think about this marvelous life. Jesus, you're the head of this church. You're the head of our lives. We confess that you're our Lord. You're not our hobby. We're not going to get around to you when, when we get everything done, when it's convenient. You're the Lord. You're the center. We want to serve you. I pray your blessing on Trinity Life Church. I pray great outpourings of the Holy Spirit would be more evident. I pray people would be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. I pray for the mighty gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy. Lord, to move forth like a mighty river in our church, that the gifts and the river of your Spirit would be evident because we have humbled ourselves and looked to your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray your blessing on each one today. And we just give you our love. And we look forward to our Wednesday night as we open the Word of God. We look forward to next Sunday as we continue to rediscover the church. For this, we're so grateful. Now let's lift our hands one more time before I give the dismissal prayer. And let's just thank Him. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We glorify you. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be your name. Blessed be your love. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Now, church, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May the Lord give you peace today. May, may, you, may the Lord give you con, uh, contentment this week. May you be contented this week. May your heart not be worried and fearful. That is not what your Father wants. May you find contentment and rest in your soul. May you find blessing this week. May favor rest upon you. Because you are the Father's child. And we ask this blessing on your sweet body. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you today as you're dismissed in the Lord.